1: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
2: Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
0: It's 12.03, and thank you for joining us on the Monday edition of the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rachel Pearson, in for Rob Hart. The debut of the new Batman movie helps fuel a huge return of viewers to movie theaters. We'll cover that in our next segment. Right now, though, the coming days will include the continued monitoring of energy prices, plus a look for any clues on interest rates from the Federal Reserve. We welcome Tom Hudson, a week-ahead columnist at McClatchy Tribune News Services based in Miami, Florida. Tom, what are you looking at this week?
3: Energy, 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 and inflation. How about that? That's really what the market is squarely focused on Monday, and rightfully so with the war continuing in Ukraine. Oil, well over $100 a barrel. Natural gas prices spiking. Let's not forget winter is not over yet. Heating oil prices, all of that across the board. That hits the the, uh, pocketbooks of consumers directly. And I think what we heard just at the top of the hour news, it also hits companies' transportation costs. I was talking to a very small coffee roaster here in South Florida recently, before the pandemic, paying $1,600 to ship a container of coffee from Brazil to the United States. That's gone up to $6,000 and is climbing quickly. That's going to wind up in inflation in that pipeline that's going to stick around for a lot longer than folks had wanted to wanted to see it.
0: Well, and I think we're also going to be keeping a close eye on some of those economic reports coming out this week. I believe Thursday is the consumer price index.
3: Absolutely. And that's the one to watch here because it's the last real-time read on inflation ahead of next week's Federal Reserve Open Market Committee meeting. The decision is already kind of out there, right? Uh, probably a 25 basis point, quarter percent increase in its short term target interest rate. Not a big surprise here. But the question is going to be how fast and for how long is the Federal Reserve going to have to raise interest rates as its war on inflation is not helped out at all by the very real war and cost to humanity that's happening in Ukraine right now?
0: Well, that's just it. You know, rake hike fears have, have potentially eased. But but as you mentioned, it's, it's Russia-Ukraine conflict that's sort of muddling that outlook.
3: Absolutely. Muddling the outlook for the Federal Reserve, although initially the Fed is going to stay squarely focused on inflation. The market meantime, market interest rates right on a day like today, we're seeing drop precipitously because market investors are dropping risk assets such as equities and looking for something of a safe haven, finding it in gold and finding it in U.S. Treasuries.
0: I want to circle back to to rising energy prices because this is impacting almost every facet of the economy, it it feels like. And would this derail sort of the recovery efforts that have just started to get underway as these pandemic restrictions have started to ease?
3: Yeah, Not yet. Uh, For the folks that I've been uh, speaking with and and following, uh, it's really sustained high energy prices that would take something to knock this economic recovery off. We saw the jobs number last week, very, very healthy for the month of february again uh this week we're going to get the jolts report which is a kind of a junior report about job openings uh americans still feel very comfortable with their employment outlook quitting jobs looking for new work and expecting higher pay so for the meantime oil over a hundred natural gas heating oil prices uh moving higher not going to derail the recovery may tamper it uh, may dampen it a little bit but not going to get us off course
0: And again, we're keeping a very close eye on on energy prices, the Fed. Thank you so much, Tom Hudson, for painting the big picture for us this morning. Tom is a week-ahead columnist at McClatchy Tribune News Services based in Miami, Florida. Coming up, the Batman flies high at the movie box office. The latest entry in the Batman movie franchise is a box office blockbuster. Let's check in with Paul Degarabedian. He's a senior media analyst for the box office tracking company Comscore based In Los Angeles. Paul, I sat through this three hour movie. I'm going to say it's worth the money.
4: (laughs) So, Rachel, it is, you get a lot of bang for your buck with the Batman movie. It's a very dark film. It's the tone, of course, is typical DC, but it's not a typical movie. It's not a typical superhero movie. It really is a, a, a work of art. And I think also the casting. Of Robert Pattinson is Batman, pitch perfect. And Zoe Kravitz steals the show. Colin Farrell is amazing. What a great movie. And the numbers were ap- actually upgraded today. Over the weekend, the Batman came in with $128.5 million for the three day Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But today, more people, obviously, than we thought, went and saw it yesterday. So now the new weekend number is $134 million. That's the second best opening of the pandemic era, behind only Spider-Man, Spider-Man No Way Home, that opened with $260 million.
0: Now, There's something to be said, though, uh, about how this movie uh, was marketed. And I, specifically, I'm thinking about ticket sales. I didn't even notice this, but but I'm now learning there was a premium on tickets, which maybe earned more at the box office as well.
4: Yeah, there was an upcharge for this movie because... Well, I think the, the theater chains, especially AMC, realize that for a movie like this, they can charge a little bit more. I think people are price sensitive. But I think if you're walking up to see The Batman, if there's an upcharge of a dollar, a dollar and a half, which I think was typical for this, I don't think you're going to turn around and leave. Right. You're, you're going to stay in, in the theater. You're going to go see that movie. But it is very interesting. We've talked about dynamic pricing for years uh, in terms of the bigger movies or bigger blockbuster, bigger budgeted films, that there would be a higher charge for those than a less expensive movie or a movie seemingly less desirable. That's a little bit controversial, but I understand why theaters are doing this. They've got to bridge the gap. It's been a tough couple of years at the box office, but we're definitely on that road to recovery for movie theaters. And the Batman's the latest example.
0: Well, and on that road to recovery, how much of this is pandemic restrictions have eased? I At least in Illinois, we no longer have to wear masks going into the movie theater. Or how much of it is this is a Marvel or DC movie? You know, it's a big name for the movie. It's going to draw people. What factors are, are more weighted here?
4: Well, I think it's a bit of both. I think really, I think moviegoers are really excited to go to the movie theater and with restrictions lightening up, it makes it a lot more fun and easier to go. And then on top of that, you have to have great movies that have appeal to audiences to get them in the theater. So it's a combination of those two things. And I think that's what's driving this big box office is that pent up demand coupled with fewer restrictions and great movies that are appealing to moviegoers.
0: Again, a massive big box office open for the Batman. Thank you so much to Paul Regarabdian, who is with the Senior Media Analyst for the box office tracking company Comscore, based in L.A. Up next, Chicago-area restaurants look toward a post-mask mandate comeback.
2: Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
0: The end of mask mandates and vaccine requirements is fueling optimism within Chicago's restaurant industry. We're now joined by Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works here in Chicago. Izzy, we've been here before. Mask mandates lifted. There was a sense of optimism. Maybe this time around, are we a little more cautious?
3: Well,
5: uh, I don't see anybody being cautious. Uh, At this point, I think the public believes that this is going to be the end of mask mandates for quite a while, because every one of my clients across the country in the past 10 days has seen a big spike in their sales.
0: And what does that mean for restaurants? Is this going to encourage them to sort of incentivize more staffing? I know that shortages have sort of been an issue for restaurants as well.
5: Well, that's a great point, Rachel, because this is really a double-edged sword. All of a sudden, we're seeing a spike in sales. Confidence seems to be growing with people who want to come in the restaurant. But we still have exactly the same situation uh, with staffing. So the the staffing pressure we had before is even greater because now the public is really coming out. Uh, Though, I have to say, to-go sales and, and carry out sales, uh, have not dropped at all uh, as well
0: well and that was sort of a, a pivot due to the pandemic but but you're saying you think that the, the takeout the to go that's going to be here to stay
5: that that's here to stay for quite a while i mean we have not seen while we've seen inside sales go up uh in the last uh you know 10 days across the country we have not seen any dip in to go sales curbside or pickup
0: You mentioned this whole double-edged sword. We're seeing more demand; people coming out to restaurants. Meantime, staffing shortage nationwide. If I'm a restaurant owner, what am I thinking moving forward?
5: Well, it's uh, you know it's great that we have more people coming out. What I'm encouraging my restaurant owners to do is is uh, you know hold tight, uh, make sure that they only you know with with the staff that they have only serve the amount of tables that that staff can handle, and if it means telling people you know, we'll seat you as soon as, you know, we can handle you in the next 30 to 40 minutes. And the customer says, well, I don't want to wait. I would rather the customer walk out then than get sat at a table where nobody attends to them for 30 minutes. So uh, it it is a matter of uh, strategy and communication.
0: And it's a different type of strategy than than navigating the waters of COVID-19, right, with federal relief dollars, things like that. This is sort of a new set of challenges. Is it a good problem to have?
5: More business is always a good problem to have, and I think that we hope that this will bring more employees back to the hospitality industry when they see uh, that the business is continuing to go up, and we go for a number of months without mask mandates or vaccine mandates, and, and people can, again, confidently and consistently go out and enjoy themselves.
0: Again, a comeback for the restaurant industry. Thank you so much, Easy Carish, president of Hospitality Works, also known as the restaurant coach here in Chicago. Still ahead, the war in Ukraine is driving up fuel prices at a time airlines are seeing a strong return of passengers.
1: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
2: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy.
1: Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast.
6: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional.
2: Post your free job on linkedin.com recommend today. This is Chicago's all-news station, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
0: Good afternoon. I'm Rachel Pearson in for Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. A change in mask policy is coming to the Chicago public schools. The latest numbers show the pandemic is still going strong as the virus reaches new locals. And a surge in the price of jet fuel is impacting the comeback of airlines. WBBM business, the Dow down 593 points. NASDAQ dropped 327. And the S&P 500 down 92 points. AccuWeather says this afternoon will be breezy and... And chilly, a high 36 degrees as those snow flurries taper off. Clear skies tonight, lows in the mid 20s, then mostly sunny skies tomorrow, a high of 41. The WBBM noon business hour continues. The Chicago Public Schools is announcing a change in pandemic policy starting a week from today, Monday, March 14th. The district is moving to mask optional modal for staff and all students in grades pre K through 12. CPS says it'll continue to encourage the use of masks. The policy includes buildings its outside property, and on school buses. Meantime, the global death toll from COVID-19 has surpassed 6 million people. The total from Johns Hopkins University underscores that the pandemic is far from over.
2: Remote Pacific Islands are just now grappling with their first outbreaks and deaths. And death rates remain high in Poland, Hungary, Romania, and other Eastern European countries, a region that has seen more than one million refugees arrive from war-torn Ukraine, a country with poor vaccination coverage and high rates of cases and deaths. A former World Health Organization research policy director says worldwide death rates remain highest among the unvaccinated. I'm Mike Hempen discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
0: Well, the markets are in the red this afternoon. We are joined by Tim Grisky, Chief Investment Strategist at Ingalls & Snyder in New York. Tim, what are we looking at here this afternoon?
6: Well, Rachel, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you, but uh, the market is not very pleasing today. Uh, We're down uh, quite a bit here. Uh, The S&P over uh, 2% down today. And we are certainly in correction territory. Uh, This market has been falling really, you know, uh, the pullback started at least uh, with the Fed, you know, indicating that they were going to tighten rates, but it has accelerated quickly with the Ukrainian events. And uh, that's really what's gripping the markets today, that and the high cost of of energy, of fuel.
0: Right. I was going to say oil stocks certainly have to have a a say in this.
6: Yes. And, you know, oil stocks generally have done quite well here. Uh, But remember that oil stocks have not been reinvesting in new projects. So uh, supply is limited uh, globally, and it's limited even more by what's happening in Ukraine uh, with the cutoff of uh, Russian oil and gas uh, to Western Europe. So uh, I'm most concerned about Western Europe. Uh, I would not want to have a lot of investment exposure there. Uh, They are very likely headed for a recession.
0: Are we expecting those oil stocks to to keep this run-up that we're seeing? Is it going to continue? Are we near a top? At what point do we cap off?
6: Well, if you talk to the managements, they would say we're at the point now, or very close to it, where demand destruction begins to occur. In other words, consumers uh, and corporations begin to cut back on their use of energy. Uh, Perhaps they don't drive as much um, and, you know, turn the thermostat down a bit. uh, And, you know, that creates some demand destruction, especially if we go into a recession in in Western Europe. Uh, So there is a top to oil. There's no absolute number. uh, But we are concerned that we are close to that level. And and we're cautious here about having a lot of exposure to uh, the commodity uh, of energy, oil and gas.
0: So we were talking about a lot of volatility here, whether that's oil price, energy costs, the conflict in Russia and Ukraine. Where can investors get cover from all of these fluctuating factors?
6: Well, Rachel, actually, I think, you know, bonds right now are a good option. Uh, yields are up somewhat. Uh, The bond market is, while still volatile somewhat, uh, is, you know, more stable than it has been. Um, So we would be looking uh, to the bond market. I'm not looking to be heroic here. I think, you know, short to intermediate term bonds are a good place to be. Um, At some point, uh, there's a huge opportunity in the stock market again. You know, corrections are followed by rallies. And the only the only problem is deciding when is the correction over? Uh, and we'd still be cautious here. The time is not yet, we don't think. Uh, we, would, we would just be cautious about stocks.
0: Are there any areas of the market that you feel are, are undervalued, maybe some sectors that are on sale?
6: Sure. Uh, and I think if you look at, uh, actually, technology, technology is the sector that's really taken a beating here in this correction. Um, and, you know, hey, There are stocks within technology that have come down to very reasonable valuation levels, levels we haven't seen really in quite some time. So uh, tech and tech plus, the users of technology, we think are a great place to look. Uh, We just think it's probably a little bit early unless you're already there. Uh, If you look at some of the defensive sectors, valuations have gotten quite high uh, and we're not as – comfortable uh, with, say, consumer staples right now. Uh, The healthcare sector is a good defensive sector, and I think valuations there are still somewhat reasonable.
0: Well, Tim, you talked about bonds. You talked about uh, technology. Are you yourself dipping your toe into some of those names?
6: Uh, We're not yet. Uh, We've been raising cash. Uh, We're concerned about a recession in, in Western Europe. We're not concerned about a recession in the U.S., at least not yet. Uh, Energy concerns us. In other words, the price of energy, uh, it's sort of a non-discretionary expense to a certain extent. We need to drive cars. We need to heat our houses. Uh, But, uh, you know, there will be some, you know, some risk there uh, to the U.S. economy as well, uh, unless we can get out of this conundrum uh, in Ukraine, which is unlikely given the, uh, the character involved. I'm sure we all know who that is. Uh, he's not likely to back off here. Uh, And uh, we think he's going to, you know, um, take a hit to his economy, obviously, uh, and not be too concerned about that.
0: An insight on Wall Street always appreciated from Tim Grisky, chief investment strategist at Ingalls & Snyder in New York. Up next, how the war in Russia is causing problems for airlines.
2: Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
0: Airlines are working their way back from the staggering impact of the pandemic and are now taking yet another hit due to an event that's out of their control. Let's learn more from Joe Schwederman, professor of public services and director of the Chadwick Institute at DePaul University here in Chicago. Joe, what is out of their control? You
7: know, what a whirlwind this has been the last, you know, 48 hours on top of, of course, the uh, international situation. And, uh, you know, the fuel price uh, escalation we've seen is just uh, Reminiscent of 2008, and and for the airlines, this comes at a tough time because they're just you know back on their feet. So we're seeing um, the three biggest airlines in the U.S. United, America, and Delta not having hedge fuels, hedge you know locked in on a price. So. Uh, they're seeing some pretty big hits on their bottom line, and that has Wall Street pretty nervous.
0: Well, and this is the most expensive that jet fuel costs have been in, in more than 13 years. This isn't just some, uh, you know, uh, slight increase. This is a big. This is a big jump.
7: That's right. And for some airlines, fuel is about 20 percent of their cost, and this is going to push it up, you know, closer to 30, 33 percent of their cost. So it uh, really is uh, not a. Not something they can just add a few dollars to the ticket on. It's going to just change how people behave, the kind of trips they take when those fares go up. I think the good news is that you know since 2008, airlines have changed their business model somewhat. They're using larger airplanes. They've grounded a lot of the small regional jets. Uh, they're running uh, almost at capacity, so those fuel cuts are divided up over more passengers. So the net effect isn't as great. Uh, but boy, uh who would have guessed one hundred and twenty five dollars a barrel mm-hmm. and I think we're seeing uh uh you know the uh wall street uh, uh hit the airlines pretty hard
0: and again this this surge in fuel prices uh it's sort of a double edged sword we've we've heard this from the restaurant industry too is you 're seeing this increase in cost as as travelers are coming back in droves i mean we 're starting to see travel really start to bounce back
7: we are, and i think uh it's been uh it's been great to see that uh people are are, uh, you know, confident traveling again. And that's uh, had the summer looking really good for the airlines. Uh, fares are high. Of course, the labor shortages have mostly worked through that. International airlines are in a really tough spot because they're hit with a, a double whammy. You know, I'm, I'm traveling to Europe in, in a couple of weeks, and I can tell you it's uh, it's not an easy time to be jumping on a plane going over there. And so international travel is going to be hurt, of course, by the Ukrainian uh, war added to the fuel costs, it's, uh, it's pretty tough. Now, many foreign airlines are hedged. Air France, uh, uh, Lufthansa, maybe a third or half of their fuel costs are locked in, but uh, that's a small consolation.
0: Do you think that you mentioned that airlines likely, you know, won't increasing ticket fares by a few dollars isn't going to make a huge difference here. Is it a balancing act, though, of of trying to manage the cost of fuel and an increase in prices without deterring travelers who are ready to get back at it? But man, maybe I don't want to spend more than, you know, several hundred dollars on a plane ticket.
8: Oh, that's exactly right.
7: And I think we're seeing that airlines have come back, uh, from the pandemic knowing that their market for pleasure travel is much stronger than business travel and pleasure travelers are very fickle. I mean, they'll switch destinations to go different times for a fare savings. And we often see with these fuel price increases, it takes a couple months for it to work into the fares because airlines uh, have fares out there and, you know, they often uh, play it by ear a little bit to see how fuel costs are going to change. I'm hopeful these fuel prices come down so we don't see a summer of uh, you know, just sky-high airfares. Uh, but you're right, you add $20, $30 to a ticket, which required in some cases to pay for the added fuel cost. And that's uh, that's going to keep some people away.
0: Thank you so much, Joe Schwederman, professor of public services and director of the Chattuck Institute at DePaul University here in Chicago. You can join us at this time tomorrow for Travel Tuesday. Still to come, our Monday stock picker the
2: only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
0: Well, it's Stock Picker Monday, so joining us with a pair of investment ideas, Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast Newsletter in Hammond, Indiana. Chuck, what are your picks?
8: Well, the first pick is a, a company that's familiar to many people, but I, I think it's just gotten too cheap to, to, uh, to not mention, it, and that is Alphabet symbol is G-O-O-G-L, um, otherwise known as Google. The stock trades for about $2,544 per share. Now, that that high stock price may tend to scare people off, um, but A, you can, you can buy fractional shares of Google through a number of uh, uh, online brokers, and B, the company is going to be splitting its stock in mid-July 20 for one, so that per share price will be coming down. I like this stock because A, It's still growing, and I think it will continue to grow despite what's going on in the world and, uh, you know, in in terms of the economy, in terms of the geopolitical environment. It's kind of insulated from that, I believe. Um, Second, you can get it at a pretty good valuation. The stock trades at 22 times its uh, 2022 earnings estimate. And I think that estimate's going to prove to be conservative. So, you know, you can buy a stock, good growth stock, reasonable price, and it's down about 16% from its 52-week high. So, uh, you know, people that have always kind of wanted this to have in their portfolio thought it was too high. It's not too high anymore, and I think investors need to nibble on it. That's Alphabet trading at 2444, and uh, the stock symbol is G-O-O-G-L.
0: A great way to dip our toes into some big tech. What's your second pick?
8: Second pick is uh, an energy stock. It's Energy is an idea that continues to work, and I think it will work. People kind of forget that, yes, energy has had a big move here. Energy-related stocks have had a big move over the last, you know, 8 to 12 months. But the prior five years, those stocks just got obliterated. So I think there's still room to make up. Uh, One that I think would be a good play, especially for dividend hunters, is Devon Energy. The symbol is DVN. The stock trades for $59, around $59 a share. Uh, Devon has a a very interesting dividend policy. They have a fixed dividend policy, and then they have a variable. So uh, basically up to 50% of their excess free cash flow They'll throw at the the dividend, uh, and that right now their cash flows are running very high because of the high price of of energy, So that stock right now on an annualized basis is yielding over 6%. So I like that cash flow that it's going to kick off. I think there's plenty of appreciation potential there. I think the energy story still has legs, and Devon is a nice way to play that. So that's Devon Energy. The symbol is DVN, trades for $59 a share. And in disclosure, our clients uh, do own both of these stocks.
0: And just to recap, our first pick, Alphabet, the trade letters G-O-O-G-L and Devon Energy DVN. A big thank you to Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter, for giving us uh, his insight this afternoon. Of course, if you missed any part of today's Noon Business Hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app.